This episode is dedicated to our Stand With The Arts title sponsor, William Ravis, the official real estate company of the Arts Foundation. Hi, I'm Emma from the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. A few things have changed since last season, mainly a global pandemic. So we felt it was important to document the impact this event has had on artists from Cape Cod and beyond. Each of these conversations were recorded from a distance over Zoom. As such, you may hear a few imperfections in the audio. We hope these conversations comfort, inspire, and remind you that we're in this together. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. And today we're talking with interdisciplinary artist Esteban Del Vellier. Del Vellier's work ranges from drawings to video and animation to large-scale murals. Originally from Chicago, he received his MFA from RISD and has exhibited work and produced murals internationally. He's been the recipient of several visual arts residencies and fellowships, including the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown. He's currently based in Brooklyn. Welcome, Esteban. Thank you for having me, Amy and Julie. Tell us a little bit about your work. As Amy said, I am um, kind of labeled as an interdisciplinary artist. I think um, sometimes that for myself, it feels more like an identity crisis constantly, but I, I tend to make projects based on the idea and where the idea takes me. So that might take me into different mediums um, from working with video to drawing to murals. But I would say that underlining everything is kind of a drawing practice and a, a deep, deep love of drawing and storytelling. So those two things are kind of a driving force no matter what medium I'm in. I tend to find that I love film because because it it frames everything like a story, a painting, and like I, I kind of watch I watch film like I watch a painting, if that makes sense. So there's a there's a lot of crossover in the interest and what attracts me. But because of that crossover, I constantly find that I'm just compelled to uh, maybe pursue a different medium if if the idea calls for it. Tell us a little bit about where you were, March. Was it 13th of 2020? Tell us a little bit about where you were practicing as an artist and what was going on in your life. I had a very bizarre experience to add to the bizarreness of this experience in that I was very fortunate enough to be uh, awarded a fellowship at Auburn University in Alabama. And I was the uh, Breeding Eminent Scholar Chair there. And what that meant was in January for the spring semester, I was brought to Auburn to teach a class that I had designed, which I had designed a mural mural class. And my idea, it was kind of my dream design class I had always wanted to do, which was essentially work with like college students in an apprenticeship model. I wanted to create a mural class that not only taught the history of murals and some of the technical skills, but like really dove into everything from budget to booking scaffolding and lift so that these students in theory would leave the class with some work experience that they could put into the world. I found that having the skill of a muralist has really allowed me to find work when, when I needed it. And so 
it, there's always, whether it's community center or a local pizza shop or something, there's always seems to be like some, somebody needs a sign painted or a mural painted or some type of community organizing project. So I wanted to share that with a group of young artists. I was really excited about that class and I, I did end up getting to teach this great class, but at the core of this class was one big mural that we were designing for uh, the Museum of East Alabama and Opelika. And it was a large, very large wall. I believe it was like a hundred feet by 30 feet or something like that. So I worked with these students. We designed everything. Uh, it was, I was kind of facilitating the process as I will do when I work on community-based projects that aren't necessarily about my work at the center of it. And what happened was I was there splitting my time between there and Brooklyn. And it was during that time, I did this right after I ran the Atlanta half marathon. So I ran the Atlanta half marathon, then I flew to New York and went to an art fair. And then I went to this dinner and there was, it was all this talk about COVID. So nothing had shut down, but it was still in that space where people were kind of joking about it. Like it was like, oh, what is this? Oh, this isn't real. Some people, it, nobody knew what to believe, but there was still kind of all this, this jokes going on around it. And all of those things, after I got out of this, I flew back to Alabama and that's when, I forgot the date, but that's when everything was starting to get like, we were like, oh, this is very serious and they're about to shut things down. So we changed my partner's plane ticket to come. We rescheduled it so that she could come a little bit earlier. And she came like the weekend after I got back and she came to stay with me. And after she got there, they shut everything down, all the travel and stuff. So she ended up staying with me in Alabama from, I guess, whatever it was like March all the way through, we ended up staying longer than we were supposed to. We stayed until mid-July um, and our, my project and the students, all their work, I, it was very heartbreaking, but it, it got canceled. So mm. we had scraped down this huge wall, primed this huge wall, put the grid up and we're about to start drawing. And they're like, you, got, you can't work with the students anymore. It was, it was a big disappointment, but it was also at the time, it was a very weird experience for me to experience how Alabama was processing COVID like I, by the time I left July, I believe we left July 13th, I started seeing signs on businesses that were mandating masks, but it took all the way up until then, you know, and then there were still businesses who were saying you could wear it if you want, but you don't have to until when we finally stopped that, you know, one of the New York or Connecticut rest stops, everybody was covered. Everybody was like ready for it. And everybody was, was following the, the rules, you know, the guidelines. It, yeah, so that, that, was, that was something to see, like to see how different, I, I have done a lot of projects down South. Uh, I lived in Spartanburg, South Carolina for a year before. I've done some work in Louisville. And this was kind of the first time I, I, I physically felt like, wow, the, there's a completely different conversation happening in this space when it comes to how the politics were being manipulated by the administration and the media and stuff. Were you able to create and were you inspired by any, anything in particular? I've always been a person, uh, I feel like that, that processes stress, anxiety, trauma, et cetera, through the, through the art process, there'll, there'll be like a brief kind of taking it all in, but eventually I kind of find my way back to drawing and that's where space is. So I'm very lucky in that way. Like I understand how some people felt like they, there, there was nothing 
that they wanted to make or do during all of that. I definitely went through, uh, I had had, you know, a plan for a certain body of work that started before COVID hit. It was uh, sometimes my sketchbook is usually filled more with writing. And I had planned this body of work called The End is Near. And it was uh, comprised of a list that I had made, um, a list of phrases like last call at a bar, a relationships, a relationship on its last legs or um, the end of winter, et cetera. And I was thinking about this language narrative framing device as a way of creating a series. Um, since I've been exploring and kind of coming to grips with my visual tendencies and being like, okay, you're a storyteller. Well, what does that mean? So I started thinking about how, you know, instead of saying abstraction uh, and then things falling within that conversation or saying I only work in oil paint and things falling within what oil paint can do. I was like, what if I made my parameters just a sentence? The end is near. Like, what would that allow me to do? to do and how would I think about the images that unfold within it. So there was really no, there, it wasn't meant to be a, like a series you could look at and say, well, that comes first, this comes second. It, it was meant to be this mood about this play of our relationship to narrative and how the end is near could be a feeling, a cathartic feeling. It could be a looming feeling. It could be uh, devastating, et cetera. And then I had been sitting on that as a writing exercise for a little while. And then when COVID happened, I had already made one of these drawings, no, two of these drawings. I had made two drawings before COVID hit that were part of the end of near, the end is near. The first one was a revisiting of St. Christopher. And I, that was about the, for me, it was about the burden of purpose and the concept that every time you saw St. Christopher represented in Renaissance painting, medieval paintings, it always appeared to be this effortless thing to carry Christ across the river when the story is the opposite. The story is that it was the weight of the world on, on his shoulders. And I imagined that I was like, why don't we ever depict this person in the moment of the struggle, the, the hardship that this purpose must have put on them. So I, I did this drawing revisiting and that was called the end is near revisiting St. Christopher. And then I did one based on Van Gogh's funeral, which uh, his brother Theo had laid out all his paintings around his body and hung them on the wall and people who came, he was surrounded by his paintings and sunflowers and another orange yellow flowers. There's so much room in this, so much color in this like drab room. And, and in addition to that, uh, you know, people who he owed debts to like his doctor or whatever, like kind of left with paintings. And um, when you know the story, of course, that he, I think he only sold one painting in his lifetime. It's, it's just this beautiful image. So that was the end is near the death of Van Gogh or Van Gogh's funeral. And it was all black and white. So it was like this challenge for me and this interesting play of like revisiting Van Gogh's work through line drawing and through black and white palette. Um, and then COVID happened. And I found that in general, my work had been more geared towards satire and political content in a very overt way. And uh, as we were all processing this emotionally and, and uh, really reflecting on what the, for me, I was really reflecting on what, what my, my home life was. I was living in a temporary apartment and I've always kind of been on the road due to, to my profession and I've kind of always lived here for a year, here for a year, two years. I think I did, I, th I can't remember, but it's ridiculous. I did the math and I think 
I've never lived in a place longer than two years. And that only happened once in the past, like 15 years, I think. So I, I, you know, I've, and sometimes I've lived in two places within one year and I've haven't, New York's the only city I've lived in the longest, but I've never lived in it straight for a stint longer than two years. And then I'll leave for, you know, seven months or five months and then come back. And so when I started, when we got forced you know, and chose to be in this monastic lifestyle of the home space. Um, I really kind of had to ask myself, what, well, what, that, what did that mean to me? Like, and I, I found myself really experiencing a lot, a lot more gratitude. Just there was a, just this weight of what the world was experiencing, and to have any type of space that felt safe, felt like I felt incredibly grateful for. So, I was taking that idea and then reflecting on satire. And I felt that at the moment, satire felt very flat. It felt very one dimensional. I didn't feel like there was room for, to enter that kind of dark humor or that humor into this, this political conversation when the politics were having very, very immediate real world consequences. So naturally I, I, I kind of went, I went even more in, introverted and that's when I started looking at just my everyday. Uh, I've always had a parallel body of work that's been very autobiographical, but I've never, it's always been the drawings I do to relax from the drawings I was doing. <laughs> like, it's like kind of just like for fun. And so this kind of merged the two and I found myself wanting to make drawings about what I felt compelled to, to express, which were the first thing I did was Nessun Dorma, which was the moment of uh, the, uh, in Italy, when people were singing off their balconies, there was this one opera singer in Florence who sang and, you know, being in the heightened emotional state, like it was beautiful. And I just was so moved by it crying. So I did a portrait of this person singing and it's very colorful and, and, and vibrant. And I was just seeing it as like these colors and these lines, these gestures, they have to come out of me. I have to let them out. And it, I didn't want to think about where does this fit in a body of work? I didn't want to think about, well, what will, you know, my art world peers think? Is this too sentimental? Is this too, um, is this too, uh, you know, right on the nose in some way to draw this opera singer that, is it too redundant? Like he already did it. There's a YouTube, like, is this going to do anything for anybody? And at the end of the day, the answer was like, I, I don't care. It's something that will do something for me and it'll make me feel more human and it'll make me feel more, um, more gratitude for having this outlet in this space. And the next one I did, I believe was uh, me and my partner washing our hands and that piece was really this reflection, both in thinking about it and compositing it. I take reference photos. So like us staging it, me, I, I just was so, I kind of felt out of my body a lot of times, which is ironic in a space where it's like this whole experience of being forced into this digital space of the space where you're not supposed to touch things anymore or people anymore. There was especially a time where it's like, don't touch the world, like, and then exist in this digital space solely. And in that way, I kind of felt 
like I was watching myself sometimes. And one of the things that, that kind of caused that was the monotony and the rituals, these forced rituals of, you know, answer the mail, wash your hands, go to the grocery stores, come home, wipe the groceries down, wash the hands. And then it became very mechanical. And you started thinking about how ritualistic these practices were and how they were and times meditative. And to the, I know everybody experiences this now. To this day now, I constantly have to be like, did I wipe that down? Because it's so automatic that you'll wipe down an entire grocery thing and forget it because you were thinking about something else, you know? In that space, when it was first happening, when I would catch myself in these moments of like, oh, we're washing our hands together and I love this person. And this is such a simple everyday basic thing but the fact that we can do it and that we're here together means so much to me right now we talk a lot on the podcast about self-care and i think it's interesting that uh i'm interpreting what you're saying as your art is your self-care you have business things that you're doing but when you were talking about but then I have these drawings that I do for myself to decompress can you talk a little bit about the act of drawing to to relieve stress or to feel grounded yeah it's a constant um chase like you know it's self-care for me is um always been very tricky because I have a tendency to either work too much or and or be very uh, unhealthy in how I choose to relax. So it's definitely like, you know, it's like work all day, work all day. Okay, let's let's drink. Let's just drink and get that's how you relax. That's my self care. It's like, oh, I'm unwinding. But it's then you wake up the next day you're like, oh, that was not a productive way of unwinding. Um, so it's always been like that for me. It's like, even with running, like there's a compulsive thing that I'm trying to understand, you know, it's like, oh, how do you unwind? Oh, go run six miles. And it's just like, that's just run two and read a book or something, you know, like, why, why does everything have to be so extreme, you know? (laughs) And uh, so there's just like this feeling I always have that I go to the extremes. And I, I think just getting older, I'm also trying to figure out how to stop doing that as much, but it's really hard for me. So the, the only times I feel genuinely where I'm like, oh, you're, you're actually loving yourself, you're allowing that space for that to happen, is not only is when I draw, but specifically when I draw with no intention. And that means I'm not thinking about where that drawing is going to end up, um, even if I have a show coming up or something, which usually means that I'm drawing something that has nothing to do with my ongoing bodies of work. So that usually means I have to force myself into a physical circumstance where I say that's what's going to happen. So for example, me and my partner are planning a trip to Provincetown uh, this coming a uh, couple weeks from now. And the intention of this trip is my vacations is like, Oh, I'm going to take vacation. I'm going to go draw. Like that's what I'm going to do, but I'm going to draw stuff that like <laughs> wouldn't end up in my work. Right. So I used to do this with P town and I would go draw in the dunes. Because it was like, I wasn't, I'm not a landscape painter. I never was, but I ended up loving it so much. It's probably next to running, drawing in the dunes is one of my favorite activities. But then I ended up giving them to my gallery and they're going to hear this. And uh, people loved them and 
you know, I was lucky enough to sell a few. And so it's just now, now I have that in my head when I go. So it's the same problem. It's like, so now I'm going to P-Town and like, I want to, you know, do something like uh, paint commercial street or like paint a lobster or something like that, just because I don't want to put any baggage on what it is I do. I, it's more a meditative practice of looking. And when you practice looking, you practice being present. And there's, there's a very, I think the act of looking can be incredibly generous in that it can remove you from yourself and put you in yourself at the same time, which seems like a contradiction. But what it does is that awareness makes you forget about who you are for a second. But I think in those moments, it also makes you locate yourself exactly where you are. It doesn't put your brain elsewhere. You're not thinking about work. You're not thinking about where, what's next, whatever. So that act of looking deeply when you remove the obligation of why you're looking is like, it's, it's almost like smoking a cigarette is an excuse to be aware of your breathing. You know, it's like drawing for me is an excuse to be aware of how to look at something and to look, just to look, just to breathe, you know? So in doing so, it's like, okay, I, I like force myself to relax. So coming up, you have a mural project in, in Provincetown. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? So it's going to be on the side of the Marine Specialties, which I'm very familiar with from, you know, my time as a fellow two times and living in Provincetown, whatever. So it's really exciting to um, contribute a mural to, to the P-Town landscape. I, I didn't set out thinking this would ever happen, but I actually have a mural inside the old high school um, in P-Town, which I did with a group of, I believe, seven young women. And it was one of my favorite community mural projects because they were doing it they were the last senior class so they did it as a gift to the school they had minimal to no painting experience and i barely did anything on that mural it was so impressive to see them own it paint it put in hours and hours of meticulous work and it came out beautiful um so this will technically be my second mural in p-town but the first one out in public space and i have been working on ideas now and uh, I, I, I don't like sharing mural ideas before because public artworks get very tricky with uh, people jumping to assumptions and whatnot. But I think it's going to be in the spirit of everything we've talked about in the sense that it will kind of, uh, this is what we were talking about earlier about kind of take, wishing you could take something <laughs> back. You said in an interview, I had, I was talking about this project and I, and I was talking about all this thing about satire and, and how it felt flat and how I feel like my work's moving in this new direction. And uh, funny enough, I think this, this P-Town mural is going to take more of a satirical angle. I think, I think there's a certain kind of humor in, in, in a lot of P-Town stuff that it will, it'll match. And I think the satire is kind of, maybe the space for me to address some, some very, uh, to be a little critical, but also very appreciative of, of experiences and issues and whatnot. So I'm excited about it. And it'll also hopefully give me an excuse to do uh, kind of combine this abstract language with, with the landscape aspect, which is something that I've kind of been cultivating specifically in P-Town. So it'll be interesting to put that into a mural practice too, which I've never done. No, I was excited to see that. Um, and it's through a new, a new nonprofit. Yes, it's with the public, Provincetown Public Art Foundation, which is new. This is the inaugural project. I was uh, kind of invited by several people involved in that project. And one of the main people, I think, that put my name in a hat was Romolo Del Deo, who, you know, of course, his father is connected to the founding of the Work Center as well. That's an excellent place to stop. I can't wait to see what you do. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to today's guest, Esteban de Valle, for this episode of the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. Thank you for everything today. Love the conversation. Stay well, everyone. We'd like to thank the John and Thurza Davenport Foundation for supporting the Creative Exchange. The Creative Exchange podcast is a collaboration between the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod and Provincetown Community Television. Words and music of this season's theme song are by Sarah Burrell, copyright 2009. To donate to the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod's Arts Relief Fund, a project supporting Cape Cod artists and arts organizations impacted by the pandemic, visit artsfoundation.org. Don't you worry.